0: This just in from the powers that be. We have the reports of a spiffingly wonderful This just in from the powers that be. We have the reports of a spiffingly wonderful but slightly weird podcast with news from around the world wide web. This podcast contains amusing quips and delightful anecdotes that may just cheer up your Monday. I believe I'm getting some audio from
1: the podcast itself. I seem to have a history with mini golf because I've had a bird land on my shoulder at another mini golf course.
2: You ever thought about not playing mini golf as much or indoor mini golf? Safe.
1: I've pl- I've played indoor mini golf now got hit in the head with a mini golf ball.
2: I was like, why would you not know Andre the Giant? Like of all the wrestlers, you can't name. Or... Like why is
3: that guy called Andre <laughs> the Giant? Funny thing, it'd be that other guy that's huge. <laughs>
1: When my wife goes out, I like to lick her salt. The Himalayan salt lamps—they <laughs> taste know lovely. What you're
2: going with that, I'm so scared. <laughs> when my wife goes out, I like to lick Himalayan salt lamps. Would not have been the, the Himalayan salt lamps? In the, yeah, yeah, in the blank.
3: Yeah. What ha- What happened next? <laughs> I went and got an ice cream from an ice cream shop and the man behind the counter said oh look out for the seagulls and i just laughed because you know you just kind of don't really take it all in anyway i was walking along the beach eating my ice cream and out of bloody nowhere the seagull swoops down and takes the head off of my ice cream i'm left with a tiny bit of cone in my childlike hands
0: That's all we can afford to reveal from the archives. If you're wanting more of this type of top-quality banter in your eardrums, then you can find them by scanning your most popular platforms, such as the spiffing Spotify, the aristocratic apple podcast and grandstanding google among many more how exciting so what's the name of this podcast you ask well that's a very good question and the answer to that question is the totally buzzed uk podcast what's that say it again you say it's the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. You can catch their broadcast from the early bird time of Monday at 7am. But not to worry if you aren't such an early bird, as you could always visit the archives, where new episodes are added weekly for your listening pleasure. If you suffer from selective hearing, I shall repeat again where you can search for these archives. The following are Spiffing, Spotify, Aristocratic, App and Podcasts, and Grandstanding Google, among others. So if you enjoy a tickety-boo time, then adjust your streaming platforms and tune in. Football Beats! Disclaimer, the following is an opinion-based podcast. Full but slightly weird podcast with news from around the world wide web. This podcast contains amusing quips and delightful anecdotes that may just cheer up your Monday. I believe I'm getting some audio from the podcast itself.
1: I seem to have a history with mini golf because i've had a bird land on my shoulder at another mini golf course
2: you ever thought about not playing mini golf as much or indoor mini golf safe
1: i've pl- i've played indoor mini golf now you got hit in the head with a mini golf ball i
2: was like why would you not know andre the giant like of all the wrestlers you can't name or... like why is that guy called Andre <laughs> the giant funny
3: thing it'd be that other guy that's huge <laughs>
1: When my wife goes out, I like to lick her salt. The (laughs) Himalayan salt lamps—they taste lovely.
2: With that, I'm so scared. (laughs) When my wife goes out, I like to lick Himalayan salt lamps. Would not have been the the Himalayan salt in the the blank. Yeah.
1: What What happened next?
3: I went and got an ice cream from an ice cream shop, and the man behind the counter said, oh look out for the seagulls, and I just laughed, because you know, you just kind of don't really take it all in. Anyway, I was walking along the beach, eating my ice cream, and out of bloody nowhere, the seagull swoops down and takes the head off of my ice cream, I'm left with a tiny bit of cone in my childlike hands.
0: (laughs) That's all we can afford to reveal from the archives. If you're wanting more of this type of top-quality banter in your eardrums, then you can find them by scanning your most popular platforms, such as the Spiffing Spotify, the Aristocratic Apple Podcast, and Grandstanding Google, among many more. How exciting! So, what's the name of this podcast, you ask? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer to that question is the Totally Buzzed UK Podcast. What's that? Say it again, you say? It's the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. You can catch their broadcast from the early bird time of Monday at 7am. But not to worry if you aren't such an early bird as you could always visit the archives where new episodes are added weekly for your listening pleasure. If you suffer from selective hearing, I shall repeat again where you can search for these archives. The following are Spiffing, Spotify, Aristocratic App and Podcasts, and Grandstanding Google, among others. So if you enjoy a tickety-boo time, then adjust your streaming platforms and tune in. Football base! Disclaimer. The following is an opinion-based podcast.
2: Hello, and welcome to part two of Football Beef's big Premier League preview. I'm your host, Laura O'Leary, and I'm joined once again by Daniel the Devil Jones himself. Uh,
4: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you listen. I'm really good. It's going to be a really good episode. Thanks for joining us.
2: And I'm also joined by Mr. Vibes. Yes, yes. You wanted him back by popular demand because you love his enthusiasm and he really wants to talk about Newcastle. It's John the Geordie Messiah Squires.
1: Hello there, I am just bringing the vibes to the second part of this podcast. Hope you're all well and enjoying it.
2: I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing the vibes because, like we said, it's not going to be a vibey season. That was, that was last season's story and we haven't worked out this season's story because we haven't even got to the first game. But I can tell you, after part one, you know what team we're kicking off with? because we're going to talk all about Liverpool right now. And I want to go straight to Daniel. I want to know... Are they title contenders this season? Is it going to be a good season, Daniel?
4: I think it's going to be an okay season. I think it might be a bit better than last season. Obviously, it's their first season without Champions League football in a fair few years. But I do think Liverpool possess too much quality to not be fighting for a top four spot this season. Whether they get it, whether they don't, remains to be seen naturally. But I think they've got, uh, they're building a pretty damn good squad. They've got quite an attractive attacking selection. And I kind of fancy them to win the Europa League as well. They're in the Europa League this year. I think even with the teams that fall out of the Champions League, Liverpool could probably still beat them. The one thing I would add with Liverpool, obviously replacing Fabinho, who was kind of ever-present last season, is going to be a real task it's going to be an even bigger task when you consider they don't have champions league football as well. But I think the brand is big enough to kind of bring someone in without the allure of champions league football. So it's going to be quite interesting to see where, where they go in the market and what Klopp can do, whether they have the money, whether they reinvest it back into the squad. But yeah, if I was a Liverpool fan, I would be looking positively towards this coming
2: season. Griggy, do you feel the same?
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel pretty much the same as Daniel. I think, um, there can't be any worse than the worst towards the start like the start of last season and the sort of the middle of last season. And they finished The finished well, they finished strong. but I think sort of their early season form really affected the fact they didn't get Champions League. Their midfield was an aging midfield. And I think they've they've replaced some of those players, maybe not the entire mm-hmm. sort of set of midfielders you would play, if you know what I mean. They seem to have got more attacking options in. They'd they still seem need to have midfielders, that.
2: I think, is the problem, isn't it? Yeah, based they're still midfielders, but,
1: but they've signed some better, probably, attacking options for midfield than what they had last year. You know, they've upgraded Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater, probably Fabinho and Henderson from an attacking point of view. But I think they still need that that kind of holding midfielder in there. But yeah, I think, I think going forward, I think we'll blow some teams away this season. And again, based on the form sure towards the end of last season I think they'll be top four and I'm probably agreeing with Daniel to be fair that they'll probably win the Europa League and to put a bit pressure on I think they probably have to win the Europa League as well if they're not going to sort of be in that top two challenging for the title.
2: Are either of you concerned by maybe the depth again because obviously Klopp plays quite an intense football and technically officially I think this was put out there that they are officially the smallest squad at the moment in the Premier League? Obviously, they have. They could like add a okay, but the actual squad is the smallest.
4: I don't necessarily see that as a major concern. The only reason, really, for why is the age of the squad. The fact that, you know, uh, Squiggy just alluded to the fact they did have quite an age in midfield, where a lot of, I suppose, Liverpool's football is played. The fact they're bringing in some younger players as well should have, you know, much stronger, fitter legs, will be able to go the distance... So I don't I don't think it's it's something you need to be heavily reliant on. I don't think you need you know a, a midfield of you know ten to fifteen players in your squad or ten players in your midfield that can come in and do a job. If you've got six or seven that you know you can really bank on that will put a, a good shift in every single week. So I, I no I don't I don't think it matters too much on the squad size just at the moment. But it's going to be a long season. Obviously Europa League football is going to be taxing as well. But you know we've still got a little bit of time left on the window, so let's see what uh, Jurgen Klopp can bring in.
2: Right. So all positive about Liverpool, which brings us to the next team that begins with L. Maybe not going to get as much positivity from this, but I'll be interested to see Luton. They're in the Premier League for the first ever time. Squiggy, is it going to be a fairy tale continued? No, it's not.
1: Who it was the team that came up from the Championship and they played Chelsea first game of the season and they lost one nil, and it was like a a late late goal I can't remember who it was and I feel that's going to be sort of how Luton's season's going to kick off they're going to of obviously not in the first game of the season because it's been postponed already, but they're going to sort of hold a hold a big team to sort of nil-nil towards the end of the game and then the, the big team are going to score. And I feel that's going to basically be Luton season. They're going to struggle. They're probably going to get a few results at home because it's a completely weird football ground compared unique. to probably what a lot of players... <laughs> yeah, unique, that's the word. Unique compared to what a lot of other football players are probably used to, and I think that'll probably get them a few results, just more of the shock factor. But I, I can't see them staying up. I don't think they've signed... Any kind of players of note, and they didn't really have a squad where you look at some of the players and go, oh, he's actually, he's a good player for the for the Premier League. You know, players, teams are looking at him in the Premier League. So I think it's going to be a long season for them. But again, for like, no offense to Luton, for teams like that, just being able to say that you've been in the Premier League is probably an achievement in itself. And I don't think it really matters too much to them where they finish. They're probably just happy to be playing Premier League football,
2: Daniel, do you feel the same? Is it about a fairy tale turned nightmare? Well, sort of a nightmare because, like Squee says, it feels like it's a they can just go at it and people are not expecting much, so whatever they do will be great.
4: Well, well, it is that old adage, isn't it? When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. They are back in the big time for the first time. I want to say it's about 20, 20, 22 years, something like that.
2: 91, 92, so more like 30. Wow,
4: wow, that's just aged me. Yeah. Thanks for
2: that. The hat has sealed the first top flight <laughs> campaigns, so it's 91, 92. So, yeah, seeing as it's like my birth year, great.
4: Oh, good Lord. Of course. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, sadly, I feel, I feel they're going to be going down. They're going to come out with great heart and that's, that's going to be very admirable. And one thing I didn't really consider was something Squiggy said is that I think a lot of teams aren't really going to be used to playing in a stadium like that. We've seen in the past Liverpool have some shock results certainly uh, in the FA Cup match against when Liverpool went to Kenilworth Road and Luton Town were, I believe it was 3-0 up at half time. I think it was, and then Liverpool kind of turned it on and smashed them 5-3. We may see a, a couple of shock results in there, but I also wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Luton Town challenging Derby for the lowest point tally ever recorded in the Premier League. It's one of those, you could see it happening. I just, I feel like, the infrastructure isn't there. Coach isn't particularly inspiring. We obviously had quite a bad time at Watford.
2: I mean, to be fair, it's Watford, and to be. F- if you're there longer than it takes to get a sandwich, I don't know if you can really be judged because it's Watford. <laughs> <That> <laughs> you know what I mean? Great. I'm just saying, like, Rob Edwards, is, on the basis of how well he did with Luton coming in and succeeding Nathan Jones, I, I just don't even want to mention the Watford spell of him because I don't know how you can judge someone due, based on their time at Watford, the amount of no, managers I, they go through.
4: I get what you're saying, but I just also think the fact that they've not really made many signings coming into the Premier League and the ones that they have made I don't feel that they've got it to cut it. Like, they don't have the cut to, for survival.
2: Well, it's um, the argument that some people see them as championship-level signings still, don't they? Because you've got Mads, Anderson, um, Chong. who is. Chong, the- yeah. Yeah, who did well at Birmingham in the championship. And they've got, what's his name? Marvellous from Aston Villa back permanently because he was on loan last season. So he was
4: yeah, staying. I just, what about you? Do you see Luton Town doing much?
2: I see them staying up. That's right, Luton fans. I got your back. I, I think it's going to be one of those, they're going to be a great team, really dogged, fight for everything. They're, they're are they, they going to do
1: what Hull City did when they got promoted? Yeah. And oh, that yeah. first in that first season. The stayed up the stayed up, didn't they? The first season. Oh, Huddersfield as well, didn't they? They survived the first season and then second season syndrome. Sheffield so, United in.
2: when they got up the first time while yeah. you know So I don't expect them I don't to be the United I think Luton have a great team base, a great mentality. I think there's so much positivity. We spoke about the fans effect before when we spoke about Evan. I think there's so many positive vibes from just being there. I think it might carry their through. And I think there's a lot of teams that will be shocked by their quality. I just think they're played like a unit. And I think some of the players that are being dismissed as maybe just championship level may surprise a few people and actually turn up because it's the whole, here's your opportunity, kid, go prove it. And I think there will be at least a few players that take it. I feel like they
4: could capture the hearts of a lot of fans because I mean, who doesn't love a plucky underdog?
2: Exactly. This is nothing.
4: Um, It's nothing against Luton Town and it's, it's going to be certainly novel to watch them in the Premier League, but I just, I just, I think it's too early.
2: I'm backing them, and I, I want to say I'm backing Carton Morris to be a success in the league. You don't just score 20, 20 odd goals in the Championship by luck. The hard league to get goals in.
1: All I'm going to say is Dwight Gale scored goals for fun in the Championship.
2: Look, right, Dwight Gale is a rule breaker. He's the anomaly. He's the guy who's like.
4: Wait, I mean, it's it's hard. It's a hard league to get goals in.
2: Okay, to be fair, we can switch it around, but I'm going to go on the record and say I think Luton will survive. And now I'm going to move to a team that we're all going to agree on. It's going to be a very boring segue. Manchester City champions.
4: What a segue from Luton Town (laughs) to Manchester City.
1: It's like going from the bottom of the league to the top of the
4: league. It's like it. I think it's obviously fairly easy to assume that they could go on and win their 10th league title, 6th Premier League title for Pep. Yeah, they've they've had a couple of losses, certainly from their squad this summer in huge players in like Gundogan, Riyad Mahrez, who can be instantly a game changer. Uh, But they've also signed a few good players as well. Huge money signing in in Kvaldiol from Leipzig. Obviously, he's only young and the amount of money he's come in for is going to bring massive unwanted pressure and expectations. But the thing with Manchester City is they're so well covered in defence that if it does take him a little bit longer to adapt, I don't really see it being much of an issue for them. We've seen it with players like Nathan Ake, uh, Kanji, players that you didn't really expect to do much have come in and, and have done pretty good jobs at times. I think they've also made a great signing in Kovacic. I wouldn't expect him to start every single week, but when he is called upon, he's there to do a job and I think he'll do the job quite well. The one kind of shining light I do see for Man City next season, besides Erling Haaland, I don't think there's going to be any second season syndrome there. I expect Alvarez to do a lot better this season. I think he'll get a few more minutes and I think he'll be into double figures for goals this season. It's a player that I'm really excited about, and I'm looking forward to watching him.
1: I pretty much agree with everything Daniel said. I think a lot have lost Gundogan and, and Mares, They've they've got a good enough squad that they can lose those two players and still probably be pretty solid. Yeah, I can't I can't see past them being champions, and to be perfectly honest, I think they might win it even easier than they did last year.
2: Speaking of that, should we go to the other side of Manchester and talk about Man United? Because there may be more of a debate and a difference of opinion here. Daniel, you... Ooh. you- You're a Man United fan. I am. Title contenders, top four. How are we feeling?
4: I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. I think it's a very nervy season for my team. um, It's obviously a great feeling to be back in the Champions League. A club like Manchester United should be in the Champions League, of course. There's a lot of expectation going into this new season with the transfer window that we've had so far. If we can just touch on the players that Eric Ten Hager's brought in. Big money signing in Hoyland coming in from Atalanta. He looks exciting, but I think truthfully more fans are getting more excited about the position than the actual player that they've signed. He is young. He is relatively unproven. I don't think he's going to come in and set the world on fire if he can score 10 plus goals this this coming season i'll be thrilled with that but i just i feel there's a little bit too much expectation that he's going to come in and everything's going to be fixed because manchester united have been clambering is, for a striker so here's a question
1: long. for you daniel yes, just a bit based on what we said in part 1 about Declan rice being worth 105 million is he yeah. worth 70 million
4: absolutely not OK, no,
2: carry on. Uh, He's uh, like, thank you for the r- <laughs> thank you for the c- you may continue. No, no,
4: no. I think, obviously, it's the sign-in that was needed. The position has, we've needed that position filled. Obviously, the strikers that we've had in the last few years, the Vegor sign-in, Odeon Igalo. I, I always
2: love reminding people that he played for Man United. Thanks for that. I
4: keep forgetting yeah. about him as
1: well.
2: Yeah, I funny. know, loads yeah. of people forget. and I not
4: This is the thing. And obviously, I think probably the best recognised striker We've had in recent years was Cavani, and for one reason or another, it didn't work out like perhaps it should have. Ibrahimovic, again, great signing, but I think it's also the fact that we're looking at a player who could go on for the next ten years and score a ridiculous amount of goals for us. That's least what we were some consistency for. up
2: front, exactly because it's that. not just turned into an aging option or a quick fix. This is meant to be. Yeah, I mean your we- investment.
4: Yeah, you could like you could look at Harry Kane and say, well, if you're not title contenders, but then you've got a two to three year fix like we had with Robin van Persie. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think United have kind of learned from their mistakes and they are looking ahead to the future. You know, I think if you look at Manchester United, they've got one of the lowest average age squads in the league, certainly in the top half. Another player they've bought in is Mason Mount. Uh, kind of big money at £60 million. Again, not really worth the £60 million, in my opinion. I think he's a small upgrade on Ericsson, who looked pretty dreadful at times last season. Don't think that Mason Mount is going to be the midfielder that's needed at Manchester United, but I think he'll do a job. They've spent fairly big money on Onana in between the sticks as well. After What's his re- name? Onana.
1: <laughs> What's his, his name? name?
4: Nice. I'm worried about Onana. He's a quality keeper, without a doubt, great distribution, looks pretty damn good in the Champions League final against Man City. But I don't think he is the upgrade to De Gea that a lot of people are kind of assuming he is. I think when you look at David De Gea and the defence he had in front of him, there were mistakes made quite often, I think largely down to the defence he had in front of them. is going to have pretty much the same defence. So, and until the season's up... I'm not really resting on Onana being a really good replacement for De Gea.
2: Is the idea that he's been signed more because he's great with feet and he fits what you're trying to build from the back rather than he's just a general upgrade on shot stopping and stuff? Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah, I I do. Uh, I think this is the other thing as well. Because isn't the keeper that United have had in the last 20 plus years, the familiarity breeds contempt. We've kind of always had the same kind of model goalkeeper for a good few years. I think David Hayer played a similar style to that of like a van der Saar. Van der Saar played a similar style to that of Schmeichel, whereas Onana is, a few years back, everyone kind of said Manuel Neuer was a disgruntled midfielder. And I think, uh, you know, Onana's going to get the same comparisons. He likes to come out He doesn't really like to stay in the box and he likes to be a part of the build-up. Whether Manchester United have the quality to receive that as well remains to be seen. If we're playing the likes of Tyrell Melassia at left-back, who I think will get some more games this season, I don't think he's going to be ready to kind of have that formidable partnership that is required. So I'm not fully convinced on that. Another player coming in, it looks like Am's going to be coming in within the next couple of days. Great squad player. And if Fred is moving on to Pastures New, which looks like he could be on his way to Fulham.
2: To be fair, he's definitely on his way. It's just the location's on that. If he ends up at a cottage, I ain't going to complain. I
4: really hope he goes to Fulham because I still want to see him play. I think Fulham would be a perfect home for him.
1: Do you actually rate Fred as a player? Like, obviously, I've seen him at St. James's Park when he's played for, for Manu and obviously Wembley as well. And I just don't think he's very good. I just don't, I don't understand, again, why Fulham are going for him. I just think he's a pretty bang average player that doesn't really offer that much. And I, I think... never really understood why he made the Brazil squad. Not not saying this because obviously we've got Bruno and Joe Linton, <laughs> not like a bias because of that. I just don't understand what he brings to, to a team like Man U. I don't think he's like technically that good of a player.
4: Technically, no. I think it's more the, the engine, everyone, the, you know, all us United fans i him in the same light, pretty much. Yeah, he isn't particularly skillful. Technical ability isn't really there. He's not going to score you 10 goals a season, but he will carry on running. And sometimes that's kind of what you look for. The other thing I look at when Manchester United are signing players are, how are they going to fit with the team? Fred seems like a really positive influence as well. And I think he's had a good effect on the players in and around him. When you've got that positive feel-good factor within your squad, when they all seem to be friends and they're all enjoying what they're doing, I think that that's a real big bonus as well. The reality is, I think he's worth £20 to any club. And I think he will probably do well at Fulham and it will be a bit sad to see him go, but he's never really kind of staked a, a claim for a place at Manchester United. Just to summarise, I think Manchester they're on course for a top four, but it really depends on the Champions League as well. Are we going to go into the Champions League really fighting for it? Because I think on their day, Manchester United could beat any club in the world. We did last season when we beat Barcelona. We beat quite a host of big teams last year. I think Eric, Eric Hag has moved us in a Positive light in, in a positive way, and if they don't become so focused on Champions League, trying to reach the final, maybe we could get uh, Champions League or well, top four spot again.
2: Do you sort of concur with that? Top four, maybe title contenders is probably too much for them this season, unless they make some surprise. Yeah, sign-ins. they'll
1: they'll be they'll be top four. I don't think they'll go any further than that. I think they're they're going to be pretty much very similar last year I think maybe if they can cut out some of those bad like I think the bad performances last year for Man you were, were bad if you know what I mean it wasn't like you were losing 1-0 you were getting absolutely hammered oh, Yeah, if we... you know Brentford what
2: I mean. game isn't it it's still Brentford, Brentford like
1: Liverpool if Man you can cut those sort of results out then I think they'll be they'll be in a lot better place uh, this coming season than they were last season but they've got a decent squad I'm still not 100% sure about the, their defence especially if they want to try and build out from the back with the keeper they've signed I'm not sure the the defense they've got built for that kind of way but again they'll probably have to learn and train and learn the hard way but that's the only doubt that I've got at the minute about Manu. the rest of the squad especially with them actually having an out and out striker now which might free Rashford up a little bit coming in from the the left or playing on the right wherever he wants to play that might obviously benefit him a lot more as well
2: I think that's fair should we move on to someone else's team because I don't it's like your teams are back to back here Newcastle United Squeaky, do you want to kick this off I mean you finished fourth last season same again we are we getting more ambitious we think there's enough signings being made that you can Oh, we we're going to win we're
1: winning the quadruple this year no doubt about it Champions (laughs) League League, Premier League, FA Cup. And league cup, and you know, will probably win the community shield next year as well. I, after that, I love
2: the idea. Hasn't got a trophy in the bank, but Squeeze like no, all of them now. Uh, of have
1: you, Have you won the cellar cup? I don't think so.
2: Can you tell me how historic that cup is? A little previous winners,
1: so historic. You know, it's it's been going around for for one season, one season only.
2: <laughs> Quite a rare, elusive trophy, really. Put it like that, you can sell just it. Like, that way. Just like
1: any trophy for Newcastle, to be honest.
2: Hey, but, but... Uh,
1: no, I I don't think we're gonna be top four or even probably top six this season. I think playing European football is going to take its toll on the squad because I don't think we've actually. If you look at our starting eleven, we've got a very good starting eleven. If you look at some of the players behind that, they're squad players, and that's it. They're not players that will come in and like and turn up trees. You know, you're not going to sort of replace a Bruno with another kind of Bruno sort of player. You're basically replacing Bruno with a player who's. I want to say less quality because the players that came in last year did did a good job, but I don't think. They could probably do that consistently if they were starting week in, week out, because I'd say we probably got quite lucky last year with injuries as well that we only really lost... Probably Bruno to injury for a while, and obviously we lost Izak, but we had Wilson, and when Wilson was injured, we had Izak, so it was kind of we're never really were going without a striker and things like that. But I think I'd I'd be happy with seventh, to be honest, because I do think European football will take its toll, and hopefully we'll we might go one step better in in a cup competition next year. But we've signed some we've signed some good players, Tenali. He'll be a very good player once he gets up to speed with the way Newcastle play. Harvey Barnes, I've been an admirer of Harvey Barnes for a while, and I kept saying that I'd love Newcastle to sign him if Leicester injuries went down.
2: With Harvey Barnes, I know you said you just you were blessed with injuries last season. It's Harvey Barnes.
1: I don't think he's that. Uh, he hasn't been that bad injury. He's, 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 he's had a few, few, but he's not been like out for months and months and months you know and but him coming in on that on that left-hand side just gives us a bit more of an end product because as much as i love maxi absolutely love maxi to bits and he carried newcastle through some some of the the dark times if you want to call them that to give the you know the fans a bit of hope when they saw him pick up the ball but his end product wasn't there let's be honest and you know, Barnes has played one game at home. It was a preseason friendly. Scored scored twice coming in from that left hand side, and I think that's what that's what he's good for. That's what he's been signed for. Gordon, I hate to use the phrase like a new signing, but Gordon himself admitted that he wasn't up to speed with the way Newcastle played last year. He wasn't fit enough to play the way Newcastle played, and he worked hard. He looked, he got Player of the Tournament the Euros, and he's looked good in preseason. I think he's going to come come good this year as well. I don't want to like pick him up too much, but I think Izak could be one of the best players to put on a Newcastle shirt. In the Premier League, just watching him, the way he glides with the boy, beats a man, is finishing. He's just got everything. And I think he's going to be one of the most exciting players this season.
2: just love the fact you were like, not to big him up too much, but he may be one of the greatest players in Newcastle's Premier League history. It was not where I expected
1: I, to I, I, I genuinely think he is. And I think if you ask a lot of Newcastle fans, they're excited by the prospect of Izak. He's, he's got a long way to learn and develop and everything as well. And if he's doing this stuff, what's he going to be like with a few years under his belt in the Premier League? My only worry for Newcastle mainly is the back four. And I know we had the best defensive record, joint best defensive record last year, but... I feel like towards the end of the season Dan Byrne at left back got exposed quite a bit and again love Dan Byrne puts in a shift he'll play wherever you want him to play he'll run through brick walls for you but he's not a left back for a team that's chasing Champions League football and playing in the Champions League
2: It's so and... weird to hear you say about Dan Burn because the same thing was said by Fulham fans but change the ambitions at the time you know when he was yeah. like that it's quite funny but obviously he then proved and went on so yeah
1: he that's the thing he'll, he'll do a job but when you've got Trippier is you're probably your, your main attacking out lap Let- on the right hand side, you don't have to worry about anything on your left hand side with Dan Burn because he scored that goal against Leicester in the League Cup semi-final. I think it was or quarter final, but he's not an attacking fullback because he hasn't got the legs to get up and down the pitches often, and that's kind of where I think our weak side is. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll happily bite your hand off at seventh, but pretty much last year I said I'd bite your hand off with top ten, and look where we finished. Look what we got. So it's going to be an exciting season. I'm excited to see Newcastle in the Champions League again. Got my Champions League tickets all sorted, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be. A, it's going to be an adventure next season I think for Newcastle.
4: This is a really interesting thing because I was listening to Squiggy there and I think uh, when you support a football club you're always probably going to be a little bit pessimistic and a little bit more nervous about things and potentially see things differently to a lot of other I guess, neutral fans. I've actually got Newcastle finishing a bit higher than Squiggy is predicting. I think Newcastle's Champions League run this season could be one of the most exciting things to watch, personally. I, it's certainly going to be one of the main reasons that I'll be watching the Champions League this year. Some of the signings that they've brought in, obviously, anyone that knows me personally knows that I am a huge, huge fan of Tonali. I've Absolutely worshipped him for about four or five seasons now. I really, really like him. I think once he gets up to speed, he's he's not only going to turn some heads, he's going to cause some major whiplash because people are going to be clambering to watch Newcastle to see what he can do. I think Isaac could be one of the biggest prodigies to hit the Premier League once he gets up and running. I think he was a little bit inconsistent last season with a few injuries, but I've still got that clip in my head of the turn out by the the left corner, I just think Isak is going to be an absolute revelation. I think the only thing that really concerns me is depending how they approach the Champions League, because if... Eddie Howe, I mean, he's going to be looking at his bosses. He's going to want to impress them. They've invested heavily in the squad. I wonder how that would affect their league ranking, because I think it's one or the other for Eddie Howe. I do think that Newcastle could quite easily get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Whether they can go any further, that remains to be seen. I don't expect anything less than a Europa spot. I think they've got fifth pretty much wrapped up with Liverpool taking fourth in the coming season. And that really relies down to their squad depth, as Squiggy touched on there. They don't have the biggest squad, and their starting eleven again, I think, can beat any club on their day. We're g- You're going to need some squad players in potentially to a bit of a better calibre than they have right now. But yeah, if I was a Newcastle fan, I would be looking going into this next season I think they're gonna really impress some people again
2: very good points a lot of positivity there I will say I'm looking forward to Anthony Gordon being sensational this season we experienced
4: <laughs> Vibes FC in the Premier League I think see FC are now a Champions League it's like goal all over again the first season was just about the Premier League second season they're in the Champions League now so let's go I'm excited for it
2: right we're now gonna to go to a team who we all at one point during last season thought would go down but they didn't it's not them, forest Daniel those tricky trees live to fight another season at least they How do a- do
4: you know I kind of expect them to to do a little bit better than they did last season so
2: higher than 16th
4: yeah, I think I've got him just kind of 12th, 13th. I think that'd be respectable. They've got rid of some Deadwood. Obviously, the likes of Lingard, which was just ridiculous. I don't know why they signed him, but they did. They spent silly money every single week on him. Um, they got rid of Colback as well, who didn't really do anything. But they've also, they signed a Langer from... From Manchester United, I was a big fan of the kid. I think he's got a, a, the ability to impress people, and he'll want to do it. I, I don't think it's going to be as bad for Nottingham Forest uh, with this new season. I think it could be okay.
2: Do you think that's the case? They, they're on more solid foundations this season
1: yeah I think maybe a little bit of last season was players getting used to each no, other <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much getting used to each other the way Forest play and the Premier League probably all like at the same time and I think this year the fact that they stayed up last year and and towards the end of the season they did they did play some decent football in the games that the that the won and I, I do think they'll they'll stay up again whether it's a big improvement over last year or not but I do I do think they'll stay up and I don't think they'll they might be in danger a little bit at some point in the season, but I don't think they'll they'll actually sort of be fighting at the end to stay up. if that makes sense.
2: That makes sense. I mean, I haven't even considered them to be relegation contenders when trying to go through the amount of teams because there's a lot of people that I'm like, hmm, potentially. But Nolan Forest never crossed my mind. And this is the case, even though they seem to be linked to every goalkeeper under the sun. Like they've been reportedly signing Matt Turner, but also now I've seen they're linked to Casper Michael. So I didn't know what the goalkeeper situation yeah, is. Yeah, I was about to say
1: that goalkeeper situation seems a bit... Strange because obviously they had they had Henderson on loan. Henderson got injured. They signed—I've already forgotten his name. Navas. Yeah, Navas. Navas. But he was only a short-term deal, wasn't he?
2: Correct. Yeah. So yeah.
1: he's gone. Yeah. And I—I I, I generally this again I see, this might that's be that's Newcastle. That's a red
2: flag, but I've overlooked it completely because I have such weird faces. Newcastle bias.
1: I thought they might have tried to get Darlow to come back to Forest because that's where Newcastle signed him from. But he, he went to
4: Leeds. Is the Henderson dead? Is the Henderson deal dead? Because no, I thought... you,
2: they've been linked, but then they seem to have been put off. And went for Matt Turner, and now Casmus Michaels in the mix reportedly. So, uh, unless they're signing free keepers.
4: Are we stuck with him?
2: I don't want to answer that question because you were so positive about Man United. So I'm just gonna skim over it and tell you I'm also gonna admit that I was completely wrong about Morgan Gibbs White and he really started to justify his worth. Not I mean they paid a lot of money, so maybe not justify it completely, but he He looked he's good. A yeah, game changer. It, yeah. An absolute game yeah. changer. And I didn't expect that. I know he was highly rated at rules, but then that sort of hype died off and then it was like, Oh, this is just the... A- Good midfielder, you know, young English. He's good, but but last season I thought there was gay moments when you're watching Nottingham Forest and you're like, damn, this he's he's literally the main man here. This is fantastic for him. So I'm hoping he might kick on even more. I don't want to jinx it. Now I feel like I'm trying to sell him. He's gonna have a great season, and then is gonna to have to sell him. My bad, no, Forest fans.
4: <laughs> no, I was looking at I was looking at Morgan Gibbs White as well when um, when I thought about them finishing as high as I kind of expect. I think he's gonna be certainly one of the reasons why. Certainly, they do need that goalkeeper spot. I don't think Matt Turner's probably the right fit for them. i really hoping that they pick up the phone again to uh, Man yeah, a United. The part of
2: me is wondering them. if you just want rid of Henderson, so you're here with I him, really and it's a little bit biased. Because I was like, Matt Turner seems like a solid keeper from all accounts. the No,
4: no, no, no. Not them Forest fans. Just listen, you don't want Matt Turner. You really want Henderson. Because I really don't. I want him out of Man United.
2: Pride and rating him there. You're really selling him. When you're like, I just want rid. Well, we're going to move on to a team that I think we're all going to, the very least, Least having our relegation predictions when it's all said and done. I have them as my team that are going to finish bottom. Let's talk about Sheffield United, guys. Squiggy, Sheffield United, the Blades, they're back. They finished second in the championship last season.
1: Yeah, they're one of my picks to go down. Again, I don't think, I don't know if they've signed players who will probably lift them to the next level. I don't see them doing anything, to be perfectly honest with you. No offence, Sheffield United, I just don't see them doing anything.
2: Daniel?
4: Well, I don't have them as, uh, down as bad as you.
2: As bottom, so they are higher than bottom, are they 19th?
4: I've got them at 19th. Yeah, no, yeah, I do. I think, you know, similar to what I said to Luton, I just don't to fight for a place in the Premier League next season. Like Squiggy just said, they haven't really signed anyone. I don't think they've signed anyone that also that gives them an edge over the likes of Burnley, who I'm not hugely optimistic about. I don't really know enough about them.
1: But... What, what's interesting as well is I'm pretty sure Burnley are trying to sign, is it Sanderberg?
2: Yeah, the classy Norwegian midfielder himself. Who,
1: who actually been? Who actually had been linked with a few Premier League clubs last January? So the fact that they're selling him to Burnley is probably a little bit worrying.
2: Isn't it also worrying that they sold Endi, like highly rated, one of the ones that you probably would have circled as a you know key one to watch, see how he does in the Premier League, and then he went to Marseille, and you're like, okay, yeah, it's and kind it, of like if and... Fulham got promoted and got rid of Mitrovic, that sort of like you know key man pick out. It would have been super freaking odd. I mean, there
4: is one player that I'm looking forward to watching. The young right-back they've got, Jaden Bogle. He got a lot of praise under Frank Lampard when he was at Derby a couple of years ago. And I just don't think he's hit the heights that was expected of him. But I think he's going to really want to impress. It's his first time in the Premier League. And he was, he's was he been highly rated for a couple of years now as to be one of the next big breakout stars. So that's definitely someone who I'm going to be keeping an eye on just to see what he can do. Could he be another Max Ahrens that... He has an okay season, gets linked with the likes of Manchester United, Chelsea so on and so forth, but then just ends up withering at Sheffield and then and then has a,
1: then has a second season.
4: Exactly that, Absolutely. yeah. So, no, but that's just that's just one of the names. I think next season, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing him.
2: I just don't know with Sheffield United where the goals come from. I feel like someone can, if someone yeah, can tell like, me where the goals, Rian Brewster,
1: Brewster Collier, McBurney. Burney, they're not great goal scorers. I always find this weird, and this this is probably a topic maybe for another series or episode, but I always find it weird when some clubs come up and don't really spend money on any players and to try and improve the squad as if they're just happy to be there to get relegated like Norwich is the team that springs to mind quite a bit with that. Kind of lo-
2: understand being cautious, but this seems cautious to the point where you've lost key players and you're cashing in on people.
1: Yeah, it's what I don't get. That's that's one thing I'll never understand because I know Norwich did that, and I'm pretty sure Tim Cruel, who was at Norwich at the time, obviously former Newcastle player, was quite open about how disappointed he was about it.
4: They spent some money. I think they spent close to like 30 million, something like that. But
2: cont- uh, in the t- context of everyone in context, around them, yeah, yeah, yeah not it- enough.
4: Not enough for survival, certainly when you're coming up from the championship.
2: Or should we move on to a team where I'm not sure where you're going to go with this because I'm not sure how maybe different views are going to be going on here. But can we talk about Tottenham, new manager, maybe the same old Harry Kane? Who knows? Because that saga goes on and then twists and turns and mixed reports. Daniel, Tottenham, can they do better than eighth? Is this going to be the start of a positive new era for them.
4: Well, I am excited to see what Big Ange can do, but it doesn't feel like we can talk about Tottenham. It feels like we do about Harry Kane because everything seems to be revolting around Harry Kane again. I don't see Spurs having European football next season. I do think they're going to finish outside the top six. I don't see them getting Europa either, obviously. Purely, that's based on Kane leaving and if they're going to be running either a David or Richarlison leading the line, they're going to be in for some big problems. The other concern i really have for spurs despite their shocking midfield and awful defence and use as goalkeeper is what does what happens with son obviously we've seen this relationship that he's built up with harry kane over the last few seasons Last season, we saw the biggest dip in form we've ever seen from him. Is he going to improve from that? Is he going to want to stay at Spurs if Harry Kane goes? Is he going to believe what Big Ange can do? Is he going to see a visionary and say, "Well, no, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to see this out and try and fight for the team." There's a lot of question marks around Son as well. I think Spurs are in for a very rocky season.
2: Do you feel the same, or are you more positive?
1: I think there's a bit like what Daniel said at the start. I think there's two there's two sides to Spurs. Spurs with Harry Kane and Spurs without Harry kane if harry if harry kane stays i think spurs will have a decent season i think they'll probably finish in a european place but if you take harry kane away like daniel said it's it's going to be a long season for them because i it's replacing a, a player that guarantees you 30 goals a season that's that's kind of the biggest thing and you know you can look at jonathan Davis' stats he scored what a goal a goal every other game for Lille and a goal every other game for ghent when he was there but do you replicate that form in the Premier League, do you go better in the Premier League? And I think that's kind of where ta- where Spurs will be at. That if they get rid of Kane, you've got to bring in a player who's going to score you 30, 35 goals a season because Richarlison isn't. Charlison is a pretty poor player to play through the middle. Son, like Daniel said, had a poor season last season and that was playing with Harry Kane. What's going to happen when he's not? And I just don't I don't see where goals will come from in that Spurs team without Harry Kane. If Kane stays, we can just edit all of this out and go, yeah, they'll be okay.
4: Oh, but- I think, yeah, I agree with you. If Kane stays, they, th- they get a Europa spot.
2: I am leaning to the fact I think Kane will stay because if they just drag on this saga any more closer to the window, it helps. They, I just don't see how you... Sanctu- I still think it's crazy they've rejected the bids they have, re- reported bids they have.
4: But surely but, you have to question, though, if Kane stays, what Harry Kaney sees him because we're talking about a player who has made it very vocal that he's wanted to leave. For he hasn't made enough- it
2: vocal enough for me, to be honest. I was going to say, the first time, like, you know, when he when he was linked to Man City and stuff like that and there's, like, interviews, like, he, i think he directly said i'm open to a new challenge or some some line he threw out didn't he that seemed to upset people i mean but, there, is,
4: there is a certain sense that the silence is deafening
2: no it is but at the same time this is harry Kane. this is gonna sound really weird because it sounds like it's a negative but it's not a negative thing about him i think harry Kane is very ambitious when it comes to personal goals he cares about personal accolades and that and to me you don't have to worry about a player like that. If, even if he wanted away, he'd still be like, no, I'm still going to go out there and score goals. I'm not necessarily doing it. It's, it's I get something out of it myself. It he's he's, not, really he's not
1: doing it for the team he plays for. Yeah. He's doing it for his personal yeah. record of having I'm not saying he's not 30 a team goals player. a season. Because
2: ideally he'd want to win trophies with the team. But if the motivation's gone and, you know, they've they, like so many points off the title, which Tottenham have been many, many seasons of a time, he's still going to go all out and try and get all the goals he can because he wants the records. He wants the type of player he is he's got a drive in him that makes him able to be one of the best and that's why he's so good it's kind of like when Liverpool went off the form and I had confidence that Salah would turn it around because Salah seems like you know what I don't want to just be good for Liverpool I want to be known as the great you know that sort of vibe and I don't think you have to worry about Kane if he stays I don't think there'll be anything even if he's desperate and he's banging down the door as we speak going Daniel please please open not you Daniel but be.
4: <laughs> no, I'm
2: waiting yeah. the answer. I I don't think there's any doubt that 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 man will ruthlessly score goals. I, I don't even know if he can stop. Who knows? So I mean,
1: he scored he scored four in the preseason game.
2: <laughs> yeah, and people so... were like, "Are these goodbye goals?" No, they're, they're just goals. <laughs> just don't read into it it's pre-season but yeah no I kind of get both your points with Tottenham but there's also a point even if Harry Kane leaves there is the argument we said before in the part one there's always someone that steps up, even if they don't sign someone. Like, how long ago was it when I know we said son has been poor, but maybe he's Kane leaving and Son being the main think, man is.
1: I think there's a there's a difference in in stepping up and scoring thirty to thirty five goals a season. What if yeah. it's
2: divided between multiple players though? What,
1: but then you but what then, players are there to do that? Yeah, what players are going to score mean, those goals? going
2: to definitely score more than he did last season, so we can add a few more to him. Madison. Madison might
1: was... get your ten goals in that team, but. I that's think it. that's a stretch.
2: A back-informed son can get you 10. There's 20.
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah,
4: and then we've got a half of Harry Kane's goals. Amazing. I just, I don't see Madison scoring 10 next season. I, I would like to be wrong, because I do like Madison as a player, but I don't see him scoring 10 goals. Yeah, the The other worry with Spurs, it, it'd be a very Spurs thing to do, to sell Harry Kane and then do, like they done with uh, when Bale left. They bought five or six players, spent money, and it just <laughs> like... didn't work out. Yeah, so... It'll be it'll be quite interesting to see what happens with Spurs.
2: Before we move on from Spurs, because you we both everyone's focused on Kane and the attack, because it is the Harry Kane show with the media, the way it's portrayed, which sorry Spurs fans, but it, it kinda is every first thing Tottenham Word Association, you say Harry Kane. But life after Lloris, is that gonna make a big difference?
1: I, I think Lloris Levin might actually be a blessing in disguise for Spurs. Because oh, I, I, feel, I feel like he's the one that... I don't think Spurs' defence is very good. I'll, I'm going to put that one out there. But I don't oh think... But I think a lot of the panic started with the keeper. Because if the ball went back to the keeper, you always knew that that was either going to get mis-kicked or just hoof back up the pitch and come straight back to you. Because he didn't have any composure on the ball. And And I feel that he kind of got away with it because of his shot stopping. But I also feel that that kind of declined over the past few years. You, you look at the 5 5 goals Newcastle scored in the first 21 minutes may I add against Tottenham last season and it was poor defensively but the keeper could have done a lot better for a few of them and, oh, 100% yeah and i feel that a lot of people made the joke saying Newcastle have just ended Loris's Tottenham career and you look at some of the some of the attempts he made to save them and actually he was pretty poor he got subbed at half time as well didn't he he did uh,
4: yeah. do you know what? it's it's yeah you are spot on i think Lloris a few uh, loris a few years ago was Quite an intimidating goalkeeper, very, very good. I think a lot of a a lot of top clubs would have been happy enough with him, but he done what most Spurs keepers do and just completely capitulated and just went missing. And you notice it with Spurs keeper more than any other club, I think. they get a soul con they really get a soul con and there's no coming back from it so losing lorries is a blessing in disguise i think spurs fans will be happy enough and can move on now
2: the other team we're now going to talk about is one that i think is probably the hardest team to preview because based on the fact they're late they're leaving their transfer business and it seems to be going through while we're recording the podcast let's talk about west ham daniel where are we at with west ham well
4: it seems to be a summer of outgoings doesn't it at the moment I think they're they're in a difficult spot as well because of it. They've seen that, obviously, a lot of... Sorry, Declan Rice has moved on now. Everyone knows how much he went for, 100 to 100 million. I think every club are are knowing West Ham's got that money. So as soon as a player gets linked with them, they're adding another 10, 15, 20 million.
2: We called that the Newcastle tax last season. We did
4: indeed. I think I've got uh, David Moyes down to be the first manager released going into a new season. I think they're they're due to have a pretty torrid start to the season as well. My biggest concern with them, it, it appears they've signed Alvarez from Ajax today, who's a young-ish holding midfielder I think if I remember correctly the reported package was going to be around 35 million pound which maybe they're spending a little bit over the odds but who Compared knows. to what
2: they were getting quoted for like Jao Paulinia I think that's a bargain well, Though we've... I really like Jao Paulinia and he is worth 90 million fuck you West Ham
4: it's Bye. Ajax we've spent big money for Ajax recently so I mean they they're one of those clubs they're like Brighton they can get players Talks seem to be ongoing as well that they're looking at taking Harry Maguire on for £30 million as well. I, I do think that if West Ham can get them a striker that's going to score them 15 to 20 goals next season, it's going to go a huge way into boosting morale. I just still don't believe it's enough to save David Moyes' job.
2: How long have West Ham been searching for this striker though? I think this ridiculous stat, isn't it? So many strikers over the last few years, you had their goals and they're still not... Well, it's like, the style they play.
4: It's, it's the style they play and it's, it's just how... I think how Boring and uninspiring. David Moyes is. They had a player in Skamaka and unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. But if anyone was going to hit the fifteen to twenty goals needed, I think he could have been the player playing the style they do with with big players like Antonio. It's not attractive. No one wants to watch it, and and teams suss it out very quickly. It it can work for teams fighting at the bottom of the table and doing enough to to kind of stove off relegation. But I think that's where West Ham are going to be coming into around Christmas time, I think they're going to be down in relegation. It depends on who they can bring in, whether they have a good January as well, because this summer's, you know, I, I said earlier, we've got a little way to go in the window, but... Just do we- to uh, interrupt yeah. you there, Daniel. On.
1: Breaking news. West Ham make 30 million pound bid for United midfielder Scott McTominay.
4: It's not going to happen. I think, I can't see Man United letting Scotty go for anything less than 40. Whether West Ham... Dip in their pockets a little bit further. Do they want to spend seventy-five million overall on two midfielders to replace Rice? Knowing that they still don't have the striker they need, their defense is pretty shoddy as well. I'd be surprised. I think West Ham need to spend probably one hundred and fifty to two hundred million to really make a claim to stay in the Premier League and
2: just to stay. Yeah, just to
4: stay. Well, that's the thing that if they're going to spend seventy-five million in midfield, they could do with a couple of defenders as well. It's gonna be around the two hundred million pound mark, I think. Really, really needed.
2: Squiggy, do you feel as pessimistic about West Ham?
1: I didn't until Daniel said all of that. And now I'm like sat there going, I agree with a lot of that actually. I never really thought of the striking situation because they do have some they do have a good attacking set of players who don't seem to score goals, but they'll they'll create chances. They'll run, you know, they'll run up and down the line, they'll run They'll run defenses ragged, but they just don't seem to put the ball in the back of the net.
4: Uh, I know. I should say. I should say. I really like Jared.
1: Yeah, I was. Really about, I was player. about to say Jared yeah, in particular. But losing Rice in that midfield is is losing the heartbeat of that team. And I think that's probably where they're going to struggle the most. I mean, obviously, you need you need to score goals, but I feel that they're going to lose all of that that grit in midfield that Declan Rice give. You know, you you could be as a team together, you could be playing at a five out of ten. And the way Rice played in a few games for West Ham, he dragged that team up to a 7 or an 8 out of 10, just with his running, with his just the way he played.
2: Teammates look at him and like, we're letting you down. Sort of vibe. It's that sort of lead by example.
1: Uh, West Ham losing Declan Rice would be the same as Tottenham losing Harry Kane. That You can't replace a player like that. And I know we spoke about it, yes, in the last episode about is Declan Rice worth £105 To West West. Ham he he probably was. He was probably worth more than that to West Ham because of what he did and how he dragged them through some pretty shoddy performances across last season, how he dragged them out of it. And the more I've thought about it now, I do think West Ham are going to struggle massively because I don't think even a player like Scott McTominay, if, if they pay the 40 million, the man you probably want from, is he going to, he's not going to replace Declan Rice in that it midfield?
4: It depends what Scotty you'll get in. I think if you give Scott... Scott McTominay, the reins, and say, okay, you are our new midfield general. You're going to be the man running the lines and stuff like that. I think he could probably rise to the occasion. Very similar to the way that he does with Scotland. I think he needs that. So there's a little part of me that hopes he does go. I do like him as a player. I had big expectations for him going into the beginning of last season, I believe it was. Didn't quite work out that way. But I think if Scott McTominay goes, he may not be Declan Rice, but I think he could be a, a kind of, suitable replacement and would do everything i think he would leave his blood sweat and tears on the pitch and fight for them every single game but they need a few more players like that as well because i do think that a lot of players have moved to west ham purely for the status because they are they are a big club still and you know
1: it's it's to to say you're playing for a london club isn't it
4: i think it's that as well yeah i think a lot of thoughts of the club i I, again having said that i think david moyes has really let this let the side down he's a boring manager I think he's tactically inept. His formations always leave you scratching your head. I think this season really is more about David Moyers than West Ham. I think if they can get rid of him, get someone in like a like a big Ange going into Tottenham, someone who's going to have aspirations and say, okay, let's kick on, let's really improve our squad, then I think they might have something. But as it stands, I don't see that with West Ham.
1: I just, like, again, Daniel's talked about David Moyers. I feel that David Moyers is a little bit sort of, Armstrong by by the board they you know they
2: in different directions
1: yeah like they've just they've just come off winning a European title they're obviously they're now going to be playing in the Europa League and yeah they struggled in the Premier League last year but you could look at it like we've just qualified for Europe again and we've just sold our best player for 105 million and it doesn't look like we're doing any business and obviously David Moyes might not be able to identify the players that he wants or something like that but you know you, you would think as a, as a board you would look at that and go we need to bring in some players because we don't want to have the same problem as last year. Year. and we had that at Newcastle we qualified for the Europa League and we signed Vernon Anita as our one signing he was the only player we brought in and we we're probably going to get relegated until we went on a spending spree in January and if I remember yes, rightly it. Mike actually came out at the end of that season said oh we're never going to do that again and carried on doing it you know it, I think it's the way that some of the owners operate in football as well that they don't they just see it as oh well we should be fine you know we, we did x and y last year we stayed up we qualified for Europe by winning cup he'll be fine next year and you know and again it might be on David Moyes to pressure the board a little bit but I feel as well just to not just be fully nice about David Moyes that he's probably towards the end of his managerial career I mean, so if he does if he does get it. <laughs> if he does get pushed by West Ham he'll get a good payoff and that's probably going to be him done
2: I can't believe I'm going to be this person I'm actually going to defend David Moyes as well a bit for the sole well, reason is... more than what
1: David Moyes team can do
2: hey oh. I was going to be more like Everyone knows the way David Moyes plays, that is true. And he has sort of perfected his style on what a David Moyes team wants. And the West Ham board and scouts and that kind of know what he wants. And he he himself makes it clear the type of players he wants. But West Ham don't necessarily sign them. They sort of go and get someone and go, now fit him into your team. And really, you know, when you spoke about, I can't remember which team it was about, I think it was Chelsea, round pegs, square holes and all that stuff like West Ham are like hey here's a player who's not really suited to you but that's what you're getting and really it's not fair to David Moyes like if you give him the tools to play max out the Moyes way then I'm not wouldn't be shocked to see him grind out results once again maybe not the most exciting performances but give Moyes it. the tools he
1: wants in fairness to him he did it at Everton. Yeah.
2: But if you give Moyes the type of player he wants that fit his system, surprisingly, he will get the results. You say about, like, Skamaka. I read a report, so this debatable how true is like, oh, he was signed because he's big and tall, but he isn't, like, a David Moyes tall striker. He's good with the ball at his feet. and It's not... That's not... He's not, he's not, not old,
1: he's not an old-fashioned centre-forward person. Yeah, you're not
2: going, oh, look, he's over six foot, therefore he's a David Moyes striker. That's not right. That's just lazy. It's kind of like... Even with Allure, it's like, he wasn't a David Moyes striker. Stop signing people because they're tall. Like, sign a a striker that fits what Moyes wants.
4: No, that is kind of a David Moyes
2: striker. It's lazy just to say the tall. Like, the example, they've got to be tough in the air, like, good at ball and the head in. Weirdly, they're finding the tall players who are known to be good with their feet. Like, it's not logical. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it never made sense that Moyes and West Ham didn't push on for Mitrovic or someone of that mold because that is a Moyes striker.
4: You have to look at David Moyes as well and say, like, players, the dirty, like, nitty gritty players that don't really ever do that much. The kind of like, what was his name at Everton? Was it Yelovich? I remember, I think it was Yelovich, the striker. Yelovic,
1: the guy from Rangers.
4: Yeah, Yakubu, and players like that. There's never anyone that's going to really, like, Make you stand up and go, oh shit! They're actually trying to do something here. I think the biggest results.
1: There, there were hard workers that grinded yeah.
2: out. Yeah, that's what they they the noise system. They get results. He, he,
4: buy, he buys people that will, would grind out a result and play unattractive football, like the Kevin Morales and and you know players like that. Ben Rama again, not that amazingly inspiring, would do a job, but I think his probably biggest player he ever bought was Juan matter when he was at Man United, but. I think that's probably it. He bought Fellaini twice. So we know what kind of player he likes.
2: But I'm just saying, if you want him to be your manager and you want him to give the results, and give him what he wants. It's just, it's kind of that simple. Like, I get what you're saying. It's not entertaining football. Maybe it's not the style they want. But then if you think that, get rid of him, even if it seems harsh. I mean, Do we yeah. move on to the final team? Sounds Wolves, good. baby, have are they? I mean, they've got an all new mascot. He looks shiny and new, but how are Wolves relegation mid table squiggy?
1: There's a lot of teams where I generally don't know what's going on at this club because Wolves just seem to be in disarray. You know, the the survived last season. They played some good football towards the end with Lopetegui, and then suddenly now his future's uncertain because he's not being backed in the transfer window. And we've just spoke about it with West Ham. I don't understand why they wouldn't back the manager when he's basically you. You know, he's
2: and he's been he's... quite public already that he feels like he was been a bit misinformed
1: yeah and i just so i don't really again i don't really know what's going on with Wolves, I, I think it probably will be a struggle. You know, they've lost, they've lost their captain from last season. And by the sounds of it, they're probably going to lose their manager. And I think it will be a struggle because, again, they don't look to be signing players. I couldn't tell you if Wolves have signed anyone this Matt season. Duckey. couldn't tell you if Wolves have signed anyone notable this season.
4: <laughs> How, haven't they? I think they've just... Um, it may be a club record as well. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they've they've signed Kunya, who spent the latter part of last season on loan scored two last season in 20 appearances. Yeah, looking at their squad in detail, I don't think they've got enough quality that we'll see them win the, uh, what do you need to win to to survive now? 10, 12 games? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't see Probably them getting
1: that. 9, 10 games and hopefully get a few draws along the way. Th- those yeah. timings
2: are a bit weird, like Craig Dawson, Matt Yeah, Docky. they're like, They're like getting the, no, I mean, Craig Dawson's never played for before, but it feels like an old band getting back the, together for one last year. Like, it's
1: like they're signing the sign-in players who you would sign, say you were just coming up from the championship and you want yeah. to sort of stabilise for a season before you push on from that.
2: They kind of got reportedly linked to Aaron Cresswell as well, didn't they? That, I think that yes. was a big thing. So I don't know if that's going to go ahead, but that's sort of a player like, oh, he's experienced. He knows Premier League. Let's get him in. But Wolves, you've been here. You should have the Premier League experience. What are you doing?
4: Yeah, I think Wolves had a bit of a heart, obviously with Neves, but they had something. Uh, Ruby Patricio, obviously the um, Joao Matinho was kind of the heartbeat of their midfield along like Ruben Neves. They had the striker that's just gone to Fulham, and I'm kicking myself. Jimenez, Jimenez. Jimenez, yeah, went before Jimenez's injury was pretty pretty good they um,
2: lost Traore. yeah I know Traore. you didn't really rate Traore but Traore's had a- no, moments Wolf- and glimpses Wolves and- had
4: that kind of again a little bit vibes at times and they've just kind of lost everything they've lost their identity they're spending money on players who aren't particularly very good they're in for a relegation battle this season and again if I was a Wolves fan I'd be looking away now or question saying what's going on with our club are we going back down to the championship and will we necessarily get back out of the championship because some of the clubs that are going down from the Premier League now like your Leicesters and your Southamptons you expect them to storm the championship so with Wolves they are looking very much championships kind of squad at the moment and I don't know if they if they do go down next season I don't know what they've got to to get himself straight back up again
1: just talking about like wolves transfer dealings this season obviously a few players out of contract I know Diego Costa was just a short term, but obviously he's gone. M- Matinho's gone. Traore's gone. And it's just like, you know, why Why aren't you replacing these players? Or why haven't you offered them new deals and things like that? Especially when your replacement is Matt Doherty, Bubacar Traore, and obviously Craig Mateus Dawson. Cunha and Craig Dawson. It and does feel just... like a
2: rebuild without the rebit. Like They yeah. demolished the building, but they haven't put the bricks it's back To be down.
1: honest, it reminds me a little bit of when Roy left Palace the first time. And they had so many players out of contract, but they seemed to actually bring in players quite well at Palace. I know, obviously, they struggled last year until Roy came back, but they seemed to have a good new set of players coming through to replace all the you out mean, the of contract first players. The
2: season when they did that, was pretty. Decent, solid. Yeah.
1: So, but looking at Wolves, they don't seem to have players in there to replace the ones that have gone. And that's kind of where I'm at with Wolves at the minute.
2: Right. To end this preview and make it really simple, we're now going to give a simple rundown of who we think are going to be the top four. You can throw in if you've team you want to tip just to finish behind the top four for Europe, if you wish. I mean, I'm not going to put pressure on you. There's a lot of teams. And then we're also going to do relegation. But let's start. Who's going to win the title? Daniel, one word boom. City. Squiggy, one word, title.
1: Can I have two C? Two words, Manchester City. Okay.
2: There you go. And I'm also Manchester City. I feel that was really simple. So we don't even need to elaborate on that. But anyway, top fours. I feel this might be a bit different. Daniel, so what's your top four? It's Man City, then... Well, so my
4: my other three are fairly interchangeable. My, my other three in the top four are Arsenal, Manchester United and Liverpool. Really depends on Europe. And what Arsenal do in the Champions League, what Manchester United do in the Champions League and what Liverpool do in the Europa League. Because if, for any reason, Liverpool crash out of Europa quite early, then I could see them finishing second. I really could because, again, I think Klopp is quite a dogged fighter and he could switch it on. I'm also expecting, we didn't touch on earlier, but I'm really expecting Darwin Nunes to shut up some critics going into next season I don't think enough has been said about him, but there was only a couple of... It's just his accuracy. As soon as he gets that shot, the shot accuracy down, you have got a phenomenal striker there. And one that, I forget how much they paid for him, but he's going to be worth every penny. 70. Was it 70 million? Yeah, I think he's going to be worth every penny once he gets that down. With Manchester United, again, if they can, if they go for a lengthy run in the Champions League, I do think that's going to hamper their league position quite a bit and very much the same with Arsenal so sorry to disappoint but I, I can't really pick a second third or fourth they're interchangeable within there and in fifth place it's Newcastle I think Newcastle are going to have a good run in Champions League not amazing but a good run for them and I also think they're gonna they're gonna see European football next season as well in the way of Europa League.
2: Squiggy is your top four very similar because I'm not gonna lie mine is to Daniels
1: yeah my my top four is the same top four. I think I think Manuel finished second next year and I think Liverpool and Arsenal battle the top four I don't think it'll be a one where there's every chance that Arsenal will drop out the top four like they did a few years ago when they just sort of fell away towards the end of the season but yeah I think it'll be Liverpool and Arsenal third and fourth Man United
2: second and you got an outside contender for Europe are you back in Chelsea what, Spurs, in who... just outside the top four just because Daniel threw out Newcastle as his fifth
1: probably Chelsea or Villa
2: I love that I just wanted you to say Villa on record to be honest I knew that was coming so I, hate mys- happy. I
1: hate myself for saying it
2: i love it i mean to be fair to be round off the boringness here i've also got man city manu arsenal liverpool as my top four but i've also like daniel gone with newcastle fifth i did i have crossed out several times between newcastle chelsea and brighton and then i just settled on newcastle but i'm also
4: you wouldn't go for spurs if kane stays
2: that's the thing right i had spurs written in at one point as well you should see my notepad right now but then, yeah, I've I
1: had Spurs written down as well. But I then I was like, them. Yeah, I can't decide how you'll have to come back to Spurs and we'll do it in January.
2: Yeah, I feel really good about their new manager. I feel really good about some other stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I just feel way more positive about Brighton. And I know we, we've got mixed views on Chelsea, but I'm like, Yeah, maybe I just think maybe the direction with Chelsea, you throw enough darts at the wall, one of them's going to hit a bullseye at one point. <laughs> That's, to be fair, I feel now like I'm in charge of the Chelsea transfer policy. With that attitude, but you get my point there.
4: Well, the other thing as well, I think you have to look ahead to January pretty much guaranteed fifth. Is if they're in and around there come January, you can only see the board putting their hands in their pocket and going, Okay, this is why we're not getting that guaranteed top four spot. Let's see who's available. Let's see where we can go with it. So, because Newcastle have the financial backing to do that, is why I think they, you know, you kind of guarantee them fifth. Although, Quite the same way if Man United get a little of the Champions League or if the likes of-, of Varane isn't hitting the form that we perhaps need or Casemiro doesn't hit the heights that he did last season. You could easily see Manchester United drop down to fifth and Newcastle leapfrog Manchester United into those Champions League places. So it's, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting fight at the top of the table.
2: It is. I mean, I can see with like Newcastle, the doubt is, you know, if they get so far in the Champions League does that affect them or if they get to a point where they think oh I want to end this season with a trophy because they did seem to really want a trophy in the bag which is understandable That's Everyone the biggest, that do, biggest thing for Newcastle
1: do you, do you go like all out in the cup competitions or do you again focus on the league because obviously not winning the league but focusing on finishing as high of the league as possible because I don't like we said before I don't think Newcastle have got the squad to compete in four fronts I don't think they've got the squad to compete probably in two fronts to be properly competitive
4: i'd agree with that yeah
2: yeah i think that's fair uh let's now move on to relegation where i feel this is going to be where all the anger and the difference of opinion comes from i'm going to start with squiggy for his relegation do you want to run
1: (laughs) i've already scribbled out four different ones
2: i've i've settled on mine i feel quite still
1: i'm still not fully settled but i'm definitely going with luton town sheffield united and then (laughs) <laughs> gonna have to pick a random team, Crystal Palace.
2: Ooh. Ooh, I thought he was gonna go Everton after yesterday, but he's he's very uh, honest, honestly. One. So
1: the so the bottom two, right, have always been the bottom two on my list, and then it's swapped between Palace, Everton, Wolves, and West Ham. I can't decide between them once.
2: I mean, that's interesting. Daniel, is your bottom three matching, or are we a bit different for us? Well, no, it's
1: quite similar, but I wouldn't have had Crystal Palace
4: dropping down that low I I think yeah the, the bottom two are, are fairly concrete there Luton and Sheffield United um Sheffield United the 19th Luton at 20th and then the, the last one I think again we're gonna have a really good relegation fight in the way of Wolves Everton and
1: West Ham
2: interesting I mean to be fair I do think there's like 12 or so many teams you could argue reasons for respectively and be like oh yeah I see your I point think-
1: I think even last last year, like during the season, you saw that anyone from sort of 13th downwards at one yeah. point was in a relegation battle. Yeah, and i think Chelsea. And I think it's mm-hmm. going to be very similar again this year. And I think it probably comes down to how teams start the season and then maybe how they end the transfer window as well.
2: There is that. But I have got slightly different to you because I feel this is so super unfair. And I am sorry because it always one team that ends up in all three of our predictions. And I'm assuming that when Tommy sends and makes his known, he will also have the... Them. but I've also got Sheffield United I've got Everton and as I said I alluded to earlier when I was going to mention them again I think Wolves I think their manager goes quite quickly I think he's the first manager to go out the door everything that coming out there seems negative vibe Wolves and I just don't see hope I think they did great because at one point before their manager come in last season, weren't they rock bottom and then he Uh, did a great job. So in my opinion, you lose him. And then I'm seeing a talk sport report just before we started recording this saying that if he goes, Gary O'Neill's the replacement. And while I did think (laughs) Gary O'Neill was a weird sacking at Bournemouth, I understand it because they wanted to move on and change and all that stuff before the season. And he did keep them up. um, Bournemouth up last season. I still think that's not the most inspiring link I've ever seen. So to me, I, I'm i sorry, Wall. I actually do like you as a club, but I'm also thinking I'm really concerned and you're going to get relegated. <laughs> anyway, we've been the Football Beef Podcast. Do tweet us your thoughts, abuse, and everything in between, because let's be honest, you're going to have opinions. And because everyone does, like we do. So tweet us at BuzzFootball. Do hit like, subscribe, and keep tuned to the podcast page for more content coming soon. I think that's everything. Other than that, everyone wants a good season, right? Wishing every team a good season, particularly our own teams.
4: Really looking forward to another great season.
2: We've been the Football Beef Podcast. Good night.
1: Bye. Bye. How are you?